Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. I'm sure that many of you that are listening to this right now want to discover how to become a healthier version of you, if that is something that you are wondering about. Well, my guest today is none other than Dr. Gemma Newman, or otherwise known as the Plant Power Doctor. And if you guys are ready to discover the power of plants, then fantastic, you've come to the right place. But more than that, we talk about Uh, how our genes matter less when it comes to our health destiny than what we actually eat for dinner. We also talk about hormones and the importance of what they are, what they do to us, and how to actually improve the kind of hormones that we do actually have through our diet because diet is a massive part of contributing to healthy hormones. Dr. Gemma Newman is an awesome human being. She stayed up until 10 p.m. her time just to do this conversation for me. So all of you, please be grateful and thank Dr. Gemma for doing that. You could clearly see the poor lady was a bit tired, so I am so grateful that she stayed up so late for me. But we will be doing a part two because, my goodness, I didn't even get anywhere close to all the questions that I wanted to ask her. So many questions for her. But Dr. Gemma Newman has worked in medicine for 18 plus years and is a senior partner at a family medical practice where she has worked for nearly 14 plus years. She studied at the University of Wales College of Medicine and has worked in many specialities as a doctor, including elderly care, endocrinology, pediatrics, obstetric obstetrics, <laughs> I can't say that, uh, and gynecology, psychiatry, general surgery, urology, vascular surgery, or vascular surgery, sorry, rehabilitation, medicine, and general practice. I'm so glad that I'm not a doctor. 
<laughs> uh, she gained additional qualifications in gynecology and family planning. She is a very well-versed doctor and well-experienced to say the least. And we touch on quite a few of those subject matters that I did mention or those specialities that I mentioned just a moment ago. She's a founding member and ambassador for PBHPUK and a member of BSLM. Dr. Newman has special interest in holistic health, plant-based nutrition, and lifestyle medicine. We don't really cover too much of her complete story into nutritional uh, wellness and plant-based nutrition more specifically, but we will get to that in our next conversation. I promise you that. But she has a brilliant new book out, which we also don't really cover too much on this conversation. It's called The Plant Power Doctor. And if you are ready to discover the power of plants, this is definitely a book for you. You can future-proof your body and your mind. The science also shows why plant power actually does work and how you can eat your way to a much brighter future and a better health destiny. And why not start right now? My good friend, Simon Hill, uh, The Proof is in the Plants, that book kind of is a good uh, contribution to this book, The Plant Power Doctor, as well. And you get so many amazing recipes in Dr. Gemma Newman's book too. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, and I know that you will, maybe you're not into eating plants and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, my diet is what I call the freedom diet, and that's that works for me. It incorporates plants and incorporates other amazing food groups as well. I'm not really much about the restrictive side of things, but I am interested in learning more about the variety of different food groups that we can get with plants. That works for me and I'm more than happy to have uh, plant power people on the show, carnivore, you name it, whatever it is, to learn as much as I possibly can and who knows, you guys might be listening to this and wondering what diet works for me. I'm still yet to figure that out and that's why having all these options available for us to test and, and try and having uh, science-backed professionals like Dr. German Newman to share their point of view and their perspective and what they've discovered is so valuable. So if you do get something from it, I would love for you guys to share this one around. Make sure to rate and review over and over podcast and subscribe before you leave as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me in the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories of none other than the wonderful and the amazing Dr. Gemma Newman. Thank you so much, Jay. What a lovely introduction. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so grateful for your time. Now, for my audience, you have stayed up really late for people. I don't know how you're still awake because I would be fast asleep <laughs> by now. But thank you so much for staying up. I am very much looking forward to this conversation with you. Uh, the very first question that I have for you, though, is, is a question that I love starting off uh, with all my guests, it is, what does success look like for you? Oh, success for me is about connection with people. Uh, I, I think as a child, I, I think, well, maybe we all do this. I think we all wonder what we're going to do when we grow up, you know, are we going to, what we're going to be? Um, and people always ask us that question. And I think for me, from a very young age, it was really important to 
want to help people. I knew that from a young, young age. I thought, well, how do I help people? And then I try and think, well, why did I want to help people so much? And I think it was, it was really around the concept of connection. Mm. Um, I loved feeling useful. I was, I was um, often the person people would call upon for help or for a listening ear. And, you know, that gave me a feeling of, um, I guess maybe some validation if I look at it more deeply and it's something that I really enjoyed and there's nothing better than helping someone feel better. I I, I can't think of anything better than that. So for me, it's about connection. And what I realized through my practice was that I really enjoy seeing my patients and connecting with them. Um, But there's a whole world out there of people who are looking for health information um, and somewhere to turn. And I think a lot of the times modern medicine fails to provide that. So that's been something that's been a, a, an additional part of my mission over the last few years. Mm. You look more into the holistic side of the individual as well, don't you? Yes, I think, well, that's always the root of, of most issues. I think most of the things I see in my clinic, um, are potentially as a result of the way we live in the Western world, uh, how the environment that we that we are in, um, our food environment, our uh, emotional environment, um, and I think, yeah, a lot of a lot of the things that we suffer from would be alleviated if we had a good listening ear, uh, nutritious food, great sleeping patterns, connection with other humans and the environment and the planet. I totally agree with you. You've been a, a doctor for 18 something years now, I believe. And I'm curious throughout your time as a doctor in the world of connection and trying to help people with a vast majority of different health conditions, especially in the Western world as well. Have you noticed that our health and our ability to connect with people has gotten better or gotten worse, you think? Well, it's a really good question and it's one that's hard to answer because I can only speak from experience, but Mm. what I discovered um, early on in my career was, I mean, there there are always going to be people that fall unwell and that need your help as a doctor. I'm never going to be out of a job, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, what I've noticed is that Certainly in in the new world where we have a lot more stimulation, we have a lot more uh, computer connection rather than real life connection. I've seen an increase in loneliness and I I haven't read any research into that, but I feel instinctively that it's true, especially with my patients uh, in the last couple of years. But before that, there's an increase in in loneliness and self-harm, especially in the younger generation. And this is something that really troubles me. Um, If we're going to be looking at sort of trends um, over the years, I think certainly that has been increasing and on the rise. Does diet contribute to that at all? Like the kind of foods we do eat? Absolutely. Diet can have a a really powerful impact on our mood, actually. Uh, It's it's obviously not going to be the only thing, but there are a number of um, really interesting trials that are coming forward. There was... The most famous one I could think of is the SMILES trial by Felicia Jacker and uh, her team, um, where they compared a Mediterranean style of eating with uh, social support um, for patients who are suffering from depression. And they found that 
in the cohort of people that were given um, healthy diet advice, they actually had a remission of their depression symptoms. Uh, I think, oh, I can't remember the stats now, but I think it was around about a one in four um, versus around 8% for the social support group. So, you know, that's a big difference between sort of 25% and 8%. Um, and there are other studies to show that as well. Uh, there's a huge emerging field in psychiatry around the idea of psychobiotics, which are the, the microbes that are within our bodies that can help to modulate our mood. And, and you know, we know that there are huge connections between the gut and the brain. Uh, there are far more signals being sent from the gut to the brain than the other way around. And they've got lots of ways of communicating. We've got the vagus nerve, which is the wandering nerve. It runs all the way from the medulla oblongata at the top of the, of the body in the brain stem right down into the gut via the diaphragm. And we have the immune system that interacts between the brain and the gut. 70% of our immune cells reside by the gut wall. So obviously the foods that we eat have a tremendous role to play in either activating or soothing that immune response. Um, and then, of course, we've got those little microbes, that entire new invisible organ that we've discovered has such relevance over the last sort of five to 10 years and how that can impact our mood in, in numerous ways. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely can. And with my patients, I certainly give them top tips around eating more unprocessed foods, more whole foods, more plants, of course, uh, those polyphenols, phytonutrients, antioxidant rich foods, the, the fruits, the veggies, whole grains, beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats, herbs, spices, nuts, seeds, tofu, tempeh, you know, all these amazing foods that will help to nourish our mind as well as our gut. I want to come back to more plant-powered predominant foods, hormones in just a moment, but I want to give my audience a little bit of background of your story and why you decided to become a doctor. And you got these, you got, you've studied in many, many different fields. As I mentioned in the introduction for people, they can go and re-listen to it. But why did you jump around from different, I guess, area of expertise so for me, it was all about increasing the breadth of knowledge. And I wanted to be able to be a good family physician. And in order to do that well, you have to know the basics of a lot of different things. And so that was really why I, I thought, well, I, I've got to do a bit more of a dive into a variety of topics, because if I've got somebody that's turning up and sitting in front of me, they could literally come with absolutely anything. And so I need a fairly good grounding in knowing what the different specialties offer, knowing all the different kinds of ailments that people can suffer from, knowing the, the most standard treatments, knowing the guidelines for those treatments so that I could advise my patients and also share that journey with them because they would often find, even if they did have a symptom or a problem, then they were referred to a specialist for an intervention of some sort, an operation or a procedure. They obviously didn't necessarily even understand what was going on because it wasn't explained to them. So I needed to be able to know exactly what to tell them about what was going to happen. So yeah, it was, it was a nice exploration into a number of different specialties, but also some of the things were of particular interest. I really enjoyed my obstetrics, my gynecology, pediatrics, psychiatry. These are areas that I found really deeply fascinating and uh, was tempted to go into each of them when I, when I, when I worked in those areas. But in the end, I 
my heart always came back to general practice because I just love the idea of getting to know families from cradle to grave and uh, following them, their progress over generations and saving lives in slow motion. So yeah, that was always I, it for me. I like that because knowledge is power, right? And the more knowledge you have as a doctor, the better it is because you, you're not going to be seeing just one one person coming in with one particular illness. You're going to have someone coming in with a a vast majority of different illnesses and you're seeing many different patients on any given day and also having a holistic approach to it too is, is also another added benefit because there's not many doctors in the Western world here in Australia, that is that have a more Western, we have what they call naturopaths here. I uh, don't know if you have them in the UK, but they basically look at the holistic side of things. Uh, I was a bit skeptical at first going to one. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, but uh, they actually helped uh, my my gut problems and it's a whole story, Gemma. I won't get into it. I won't bore you with it. But uh, <laughs> it wouldn't bore me. But <laughs> uh, it, it's wild. It's it's outrageous. But um, yeah, I yeah I did it to myself. But anyway, that's neither here or there. Maybe another time <laughs> I might share it with you. But I guess I, I wanted to ask you, moving into sort of the the Reiki side of things what and meditation because i know you, you're interested in in those two things what made you interested in in being a reiki teacher or master that sort of thing oh that's a good question as well i think for me when when i go back to my to my core um understanding of what it, it means to be human i come back to the connection piece that we that we touched upon when you first asked me what success means to me yeah. and what I began to realize was that for many of my patients, um, it was the therapeutic relationship that helped to build trust and that helps to build, um, foster the idea that they could actually begin to um, help themselves in ways that they hadn't necessarily realized before. And when you look at scientific research and you understand that in many, in, in many trials, they have to take um, note of the placebo effect uh, and the way that the body is able to um, heal itself because the person believes that they are going to be made better. And it's actually quite a dramatic effect. So it, it, it can be really quite marked when you do a clinical trial, how strong the placebo effect is and normally it's just kind of discounted people say oh well yeah we've got to we've got to exclude you know that that improvement of 20 percent say because yeah that that was just the placebo effect um but if you delve into that a little bit deeper i think it's an incredible thing that you know the power of intention uh, and and the power of perception has allowed you to have a different kind of relationship with your body than you had before and has allowed symptoms that you may have experienced to improve. And so I felt as though I didn't have a complete understanding as to why I felt energetic medicine could be helpful, but I was curious. I wanted to learn more. And so I studied Western style Reiki and I studied Jikadan style Reiki, which are two different disciplines. And I began to see the crossover between them as well as the crossover between other um, modalities of energetic healing. And what I began to realize was that there are a number of ways in which we can help ourselves towards healing that we haven't really as yet been able to explain using the scientific method. Um, and 
I have my own theories as to why it works, which haven't been externally validated. But even if I just stick to the studies that have, I can see that there are some benefits to um, experiencing Reiki for the purposes of pain relief. Uh, there are a number of uh, well-renowned cancer centers that now offer um, Reiki healing for, for, for their um for their clients and patients who are experiencing cancer and want to have some complementary therapies to improve their out, um, their emotional outcomes, their pain relief. Uh, there are studies on back pain relief and Reiki. There are studies on people with, I think, IV disc herniation, uh, nausea and uh, side effects from chemotherapy, for example. So, you know, there are some definite studies to show that it's helpful. Uh, studies to show that it can be as helpful as other um, complementary therapies, um, or even physical therapies. There was one study that showed it had a similar efficacy for pain relief as, as a course of physiotherapy, but ended up being significantly cheaper to run. So, you know, there are some definite benefits that we can see. Um, and, and that's what really fascinated me when I, when I began to study this and I, I very much enjoyed including it as part of my practice. What does the practice include? For those people that don't know. So it depends on which type you um, are having, but the one that I tend to favor is Jikadan Reiki and it's essentially a hands-on practice. So what you would experience in a room is um, you know, a brief sort of questionnaire of, of, of what, what your issues are. And then I like to um, repeat the, the mantra that I was taught as part of my daily practice. And then simply it's a, it's a hands-on treatment. Uh, so, I can't go into the details of exactly what happens because that would break my, my Reiki training. But for the person who's experiencing it, they would basically experience hands-on therapy uh, in various areas of the body. Um, and they may then enjoy a, a, a sort of a brief um, massage at the end or clothes on. Again, it's just a hands-on therapy. Yeah. So basically energy, connection, that sort of thing. I've never, yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I do, <laughs> I have explained it um, once before, actually, you know, quite recently I was I was with a friend chatting about this and he invited me onto his podcast. Uh, I don't know if you know him, he's called Nimai Delgado. And he was asking, he's an engineer and um, a bodybuilder and he wants to know uh, what my theories were as to why um, Reiki has some health benefits. And, and so I explained to him as best I could my own meandering thoughts on, on um, the power of intention and how you can meld them together in, in, in you know, an understanding of Reiki. He got it, um, but it was, <laughs> it, it's, it's just my theory. So I feel as though it's not something that I, I can share as to, oh yeah, this is why it works because we haven't really discovered exactly why yet it's one of the one of the mysteries of science no i like it i think it is 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 very fascinating and because i haven't done it myself i haven't been i haven't had the practice of that before but i do have a friend of mine in the states that she does she's a reiki practitioner as well so i think when i get over there she's promised that she'll do one with me so hopefully that i get more adverse <laughs> to what goes on in it because i got quite a few pain areas in my body. So maybe we can release those, but I guess moving the conversation from Reiki to more 
another area of interest for me, which is uh, hormones and hormone regulation. And I know you've you've spoken with Rich and and Simon, some of my friends, about uh, hormone regulations for women. You've dove, dove further into that, so I highly encourage people to go and and listen to those ones. But uh, firstly, what are hormones uh, for people that? Why do we have them? And yeah, like how do we fix a broken hormone? I know there's three questions in there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, hormones are are instrumental to not only our physical health, but our mental health and our development as well. Essentially, they're chemical messengers that our bodies use to help us to regulate our body's functions. And there's over 50 different types and they can be produced in various parts of the body. So you could have uh, the thyroid hormone produced by the thyroid gland. Uh, in females, we tend to have the ovaries produced estrogen. We have in males, we tend to have the testicles produced testosterone as obviously very basic um but you have many different endocrine organs or, or hormone organs the pancreas that's where you the, the insulin that our body uses is, is released um and so and they all have to work together in synergy and it's like an orchestra uh, and it all it all kind of works amazingly when the when the uh, conductor is having a great day and everybody's watching and and uh, everybody's experienced and they're all just kind of having um, a fantastic musical symphony. But then, if you're having a bad day, you know maybe the bassist is off or the um, you know the violinist is is kind of a bit screechy. Then the whole thing can kind of turn on its head and you can get a cacophony of noise. It's a bit like that with with hormones, like they have to all work together in very sort of tight feedback mechanisms. And usually that's controlled by, um, you know, the brain or the hypothalamic pituitary axis. So you've kind of, you've got this constant feedback mechanism, say how much hormone is being produced here? Is that enough? Do we need more? Do we need less? Um, And it's a feedback kind of loop. So um, yeah, it's quite intricate. It's quite complicated and it can be affected by the way that we live. Um, it can be affected by, um, in part by the things like the food that we eat, the amount of sleep that we get, the amount of movement we experience in our bodies, the amount of stress that we have. And these are all things that can play a part in our hormone regulation as well as our environment. Is So are hormones different for males and females? Uh, yes, I think there is a difference. Um, it, hormones regulate when we go through puberty and uh, when when females will experience menopause um and they also regulate how our bodies go through puberty so you know you know that if if you have more estrogen it tends to have a feminizing effect there'd be increased um fat storage um whereas with men with more testosterone you may have an uh, increase um muscle, um, lowering of the voice. Uh, there's a number of ways in which hormones can, can change based on, uh, the sex that you were signed at birth and, and how those hormones start to uh, interact in the puberty years. And also, you know, in that, in our reproductive lives, I think women are very much, um, uh, affected by the cycle between estrogen, progesterone, um, and, and the menstrual cycle, our monthly cycles throughout our reproductive years. Um, and then, of course, the sudden drop uh, and the sudden um, 
highs and lows of estrogen that we experience in the perimenopause, leading men into the menopause, where um, we will experience a drop in the amount of estrogen that our bodies are producing from our ovaries uh, and more dramatic symptoms than perhaps a man would experience at that time, which is a which is a more gradual uh, decline in, in, in testosterone levels. So we can say that for some men that might have what they call man boobs, that is a result of hormones, a hormone imbalance? You could say that um, because interestingly, uh, our fat cells, some of them at least, um, are actually hormonally active. They're not just inert in our bodies. They, they have kind of hormone releasing potential. And so, in fact, that's why um, when women go through menopause, for example, uh, there's a tendency to then shift in where our body weight is because um, the, uh, the our bodies are very clever and they, they want to continue to to experience the, the estrogen that we were having before. So if the ovaries are beginning to shut down, then they'll they'll hold on to the fat cells that are producing estrogen, which is why uh, it's more common for fat distribution to be uh, more around the belly for women um, around and after menopause than, than before. And with men, again, uh, if there's higher um, levels of of, of um, of fat in the body, then you have higher levels of endogenous estrogen production from the fat cells, which can then lead to so-called man boobs. Um, and uh, yeah, it, that, it is in relation to a hormonal imbalance, I think. Because yeah, I'll just be honest and vulnerable here for a second. And um, for those people that know me in person, like I'm constantly teased about this. <laughs> I'm fairly active and and doesn't matter how many push-ups or chest exercises I do, I still can't get rid of the the extra, I guess, layer. So my chest is a lot bigger than some of my mates are and they technically well, they, they tend to tease me about it. They're like, so Jay, you still got your man boobs and all that sort of stuff. Oh. Um, yeah. It's quite, and it's, it's been one of those things for me where I've been, I've been trying to get rid of it for such a long time. But then I thought about what I used to eat growing up that might've affected the hormonal imbalance that might've contributed to the extra fat stores because everywhere else on my body, I'm fine. I've got barely any fat anywhere else. It just seems to be in the chest <laughs> area. Uh, it was me drinking a ton of cow's milk and uh, all that stuff growing up. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, what is it about drinking, I guess, a lot of dairy or, or having a lot of dairy in your diet that contri contributes to the hormones uh, and, and all that sort of stuff? That question made sense. Well yeah, no, that does make sense. but I think I think it's it's a more complex question because there are lots of reasons for so-called man boobs, and it doesn't necessarily relate just to diet. Um, so obviously you would have had this investigated, I'm sure over over the course of the years. but if you had um you know a more severe case, then you'd be looking into certain medications, for example, that might have caused it, like um, steroid medications or alcohol or opioids or sometimes reflux medications, um, antipsychotics and certain um, alkalizing agents. So there's quite a lot of different drugs that can potentially um, contribute to what we call gynecomastia, which is um, you know the, the sort of man boob phenomenon. Um, 
but but yeah it's 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 not just necessarily that simple so you should definitely if if anyone out there has got man boobs and they're worried about them then go to your doctor first up because there are a few tests and investigations that you should do just to rule out um some obvious like causes um but failing that then yes i suppose there could well be a link there if you've had a lot of dairy because um Again, this is this is anecdotal from my perspective, but when you are drinking cow's milk, you're essentially also drinking a bioequivalent estrogen from the from the cow because the cow has been pregnant and is lactating, obviously, uh, and so that is the. The, the breast milk from the cow and many many of the cows in the dairy industry are pregnant uh, at the time at which they are lactating as well um, sort of pregnant with their next calf so there is probably quite a lot of estrogen circulating within that mammal and then uh, you know I can postulate that it would then be potentially in their milk certainly a lot more bioequivalent estrogen than you would expect from soy milk for example which has phytoestrogens which are very different uh, and are not associated with um with gynecomastia i don't drink smoke take steroids anything like that but i do have reflux medication which i immediately perked me up but i've had this thing for most of my life i don't think i've ever been on uh, reflux medication but i'll tell you a quick funny story i did go and see a uh, specialist, I forgot the the area of expertise that he was in, and he did a full body examination and I'm lying on the table and I got my shirt off and he's like looking at my body and, and pointing and feeling at different areas to see if I've got pain in, in, in different areas. <laughs> and then, then he decides to grab my my breast area and he goes, he starts squeezing it and he, he goes, huh, this feels a, a little bit bigger than the other one. Like he was looking, I think he was looking for, for breast cancer or something. And he goes, you're a man, you shouldn't have big breasts. And I'm like, <laughs> feeling a little bit um, insecure, a little, <laughs> he's like, you, you exercise and here you've got this going on. What, what's happening with you, Jay? Uh, but that really happened. And my mom's sitting in the other yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I mean, that must, that must've been really hard. That must've been really hard for you. I, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, I've gotten used to people teasing me. I'm, like, I'm 25 years old. So I'm just like, I, I shake it off now, but I thought that would be, I probably told it wrong. <laughs> Not make it sound as funny as it actually was, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> enough of, uh, oh. enough of man boobs. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose just to finish, just to round off that topic, you know, if that's something that is bothering you or you're worried about, or you know, it's worth going to your doctor because, as as I mentioned before, there are other causes and you know, liver function as well is important to check. Um, so yes, um, but but also like some people just have very prominent pecs as well. Um, I had a gentleman but he actually just had very prominent pectoral muscles. So yeah, it's, it's always worth double checking with your own doctor if you're not sure. I'll say that from now on. <laughs> Thank well, you. Very for prominent pecs. Very prominent <laughs> yeah. pecs. We'll, we'll just use that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for that, Dr. Gemma. Really do appreciate it. Um, so moving, moving from that, and I do want to be mindful of your time as well. So I've got a couple 
questions to round off this conversation. I might have to bring you back at another time that's earlier for you and later for me. Um, but I wanted to ask you about uh, PCOS or polycystic ovarian disorder or disease, that sort of thing, because my mum had it. She was told that she was not never able to have kids. For those women that might have it that don't know uh, like how to treat it. Is it, is it treatable? What sort of, what is it as well? How do you tell that you've got it? That sort of thing. Yeah. So first up, I'm really glad you mentioned that, that your mum had it and was told that she couldn't have children because I think that is absolutely shocking. Um, and it's untrue. Uh, if you look at long-term data on women who have um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, in actual fact, they, they, they are just as likely to be able to have children as somebody that doesn't have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, when you look at long-term over a course of their reproductive lifespan, um, but that it can sometimes be more challenging. And the reason for that is because they may experience less frequent ovulation. So just to kind of highlight the point that your mum experienced when she was told that she couldn't have children that's happened to a lot of my patients uh, and in fact they've been quite blasé about not using contraception because they were, were told that they couldn't have children and then of course they fall pregnant so with my dad um, <laughs> <laughs> he was like great this is gonna be great and then all of a sudden my older brother was born <laughs> yeah exactly so it's not true uh, and in fact, as, as, I, as I mentioned before, um, over the course of the reproductive lifespan, they're just as likely to have children, but uh, there may be some difficulties. And the reason being is because with polycystic ovaries, what you experience is um, rather than having one um, egg released once a month, as, as you would normally expect, you get lots of small cysts that, that pop up on the ovary uh, and these little cysts are essentially kind of they don't mature in the way that the the normal corpus luteum matures as it's being released by the ovary so you normally have that maturation process once a month and then the egg is released and that's basically how um, the whole cycle is perpetuated and with polycystic ovaries you get lots of these immature follicles that are just sort of popping up and trying to mature but they haven't quite managed it and um, as a result, there may not be uh, as many of those eggs released. So you may have one released sort of every six weeks or every eight weeks rather than every four weeks. Uh, and therefore, in um, one of the main symptoms that, that women with PCOS or PCOS will notice is that they have less frequent periods. Um, it's also thought to be uh, linked to insulin resistance um, in the body. So it's strongly associated with the increased risk of type 2 diabetes, which is also a condition of insulin resistance. And some women will notice that it's more difficult for them to lose weight or uh, it's easier for them to gain weight. They may notice that they are more uh, have a higher propensity towards things like facial hair, sort of uh, excess androgens in the body. Um, and they may notice that there's an association as well between a low mood at times. Um, sometimes it can really affect self-confidence, especially if there's an increase uh, in things like acne, which is, again, potentially there in that case, hormonally mediated. So there's a lot of different symptoms. Uh, most commonly, uh, it will be 
related to less frequent periods, um, extra body hair, acne, things like that. Um, but, but many people live with PCOS and don't even realize they have it. Um, and it can actually affect up to one in 10 women. So it's much more common than people realize. And what sort of brings it on? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can have its genetic risks, um, for sure. So there's a genetic predisposition, um, and, it it tends to uh, be less easy to manage if you're on a if you have a more Western diet and lifestyle, uh, you may find yourself um, struggling with uh, less frequent periods, depending on you know how how you're able to manage your insulin resistance. So there are definitely environmental and um, endogenous factors, so things that you can do in your diet and lifestyle, but also your genetics can play a part as well. So is it curable or just more manageable well it's not something that you can necessarily cure but it's much more common than you think and there are ways that you can manage it with your lifestyle that will help it to have a far lesser impact on your on your life um so uh in fact i actually have two very good friends who this week published their book they yeah. one's a gynecologist and one's a nutritionist they're a mother daughter duo and the daughter um the nutritionist she actually lives with pcos and her mother the gynecologist uh also wrote the book so it's called living pcos free and the idea is that yeah. You don't get rid of PCOS as such. There's no cure, but that doesn't mean that there's no hope. And the book outlines many of the strategies that you can use to help improve your PCOS. Um, and of course, um, eating more plants is, is top of the list. There's lots of great research, uh, loads of scientific studies in the book to highlight the importance of, of whole plant foods and helping to manage the insulin resistance that lies behind um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. What sort of foods would you recommend that uh, women eat? Like what sort of plant-based foods would be the best in terms of managing PCOS? Well, what you're aiming to do is um, having foods that help to maximize your insulin sensitivity and um, eating lots of uh, vegetables, whole grains, uh, beans, lentils, uh, chickpeas, um, fruits as well. Uh, these kinds of foods are really helpful for improving your, your insulin sensitivity and your insulin response. Soy um, products, soybeans um, in, in the form of tofu or tempeh or miso, minimally processed soy, is also known to be um, really generally helpful for improving not only fiber and protein content of your diet, but also the phytoestrogens that they contain are useful for uh, minimizing certain hormonal side effects and issues uh, that you may experience. And that can also be useful for PCOS as well. So um, I'd suggest seeds as well and nuts are great because they are a real powerhouse of proteins and healthy fats uh, and certain minerals that are really helpful for helping to regulate your hormones. Uh, selenium, for example, in Brazil nuts um, are, are brilliant. Um, Calcium sources like tahini and um, apricots and uh, broccoli and kale, cruciferous vegetables in general are brilliant for uh, many reasons. But um, 
hormonal regulation can be improved when you have all of the right nutrients um, in order to make these um, hormones in the most effective way. So say, for example, your thyroid hormone, you need to have enough iodine and selenium for that to work well. Um, and you can get that from certain types of seaweed. Uh, nori sheets, for example, are brilliant for that. Uh, iodine um, fortified plant milks, for example, are great as well. Um, so yeah, there's a number of, there's a number of different foods that can be helpful. I'm going to have to bring you back on again, Dr. Gemma and, and continue this conversation. I've got so many more questions for you, but the final two questions that I do have for you are just to round off this conversation. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting because we haven't really talked about my story as yet on this podcast, but what do I love about my story? I love the, I love the fact that I am where I am. And I think, you know, many of us experience things that, that give us heartache, that give us cause for, um, feeling like, why me? I, I really wish this hadn't happened. I really didn't want to have to have experienced this. Um, but at the same time, these struggles are, are really what help us to move forward uh, in our journey towards understanding ourselves and the world better. And they can bring so much compassion with them as well. So much mutual understanding of what it's like to be human. So um, I love the journey and all it's. I love about myself. Hmm. Well, I, I believe I am. This is going to sound really corny, but you know, I, I, I am love. I know we all are at our core. That's what we all are, mm -hmm. and you know, we 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 have lots of different layers to ourselves. We're like onions. <laughs> We've got lots of layers um, and lots of things that make us different from each other. But at our core, um, I believe that, that that we are love, and I think that's that's what. I'm most proud of. I think that's what I'm most proud of about all humans. And um, I, hopefully we can all begin to see that a little bit more as time goes on. Mm. Well, I have loved this conversation, to be honest with you. And I know we didn't touch too much on your story. I promise we'll do that another later later date. And I promise to do that very beginning. <laughs> and we got <laughs> stuck on something else. I apologize for that. It's like a very wide ranging conversation, the first one. Um, but yeah, definitely going to hopefully have you back on uh, if you're open to that. But this is my final question for you, Dr. Gemma. It's my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want okay. you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got all that. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. Uh, I would like for it to say um, that, that she that she loved and that she loved her life and uh, that she was able to achieve what she needed to do in this world to help other people connect to the best part of themselves. That's it, really. 
It's a good send-off message for people. I like mm. it. Thank you so much, Gemma, for staying up <laughs> this late uh, and for sharing all your wisdom and your advice and a little bit of your story. We'll get to the other side of your story the next time. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much, Jay. I've really enjoyed it. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.